Let me ask you this morning, do you ever feel like life is just a constant struggle? Things like, oh, I'm trying to get my kids to listen and my kids won't listen and there's a constant battle between me and my children or the car has another issue. I just had it fixed and now it's back in the shop and it continues on and on. Or the project at work that never finishes or the project at work that you're thinking you're trying to do a good job on and your boss is never pleased or the boss that's on your back all the time and it won't quit and you feel like no matter what you do, you can't please that boss. Or possibly the doctor has just shared some bad news. It was bad news that, that you weren't uh, expecting. Or, or maybe the money struggles that never end. You're like, I thought we were getting out of this debt. I thought we were getting out of these challenges and it just feels like we're in quicksand sand. Every time we take a step forward, then we take two steps backwards. You ever feel that? You ever sense that in life where it's just like, it's just constant. It just keeps coming at me and life just keeps happening. Maybe it's another argument with your spouse. It's another debate with your friend. It's just relationship challenges. I mean, the list can go on and on and on of things that wear us out, that get us down, that that just make us feel like I'm never going to get past this struggle. Now, for some in this room, you may say, Things great right now, but maybe you've been there before. Or you say, it could be coming around the corner. Truth is, all of us face some kind of struggle or some kind of setback or some kind of challenge almost daily, if not daily, at least weekly, where it's like, why does this keep happening? Why does this thing keep challenging me? Sometimes life just comes at us. And when life just keeps coming at us, many times it can feel like I'm in a war, I'm in a struggle, I'm in a battle, I'm in this tug of war. And the question is, why do we feel like this? Why does it keep happening? Why, why when I get over one hump, does it turn the corner and all of a sudden it seems like there's another hump? There's a reason to that. And his name is Satan. We don't necessarily like to recognize that. Many times we don't want to talk about that. Why, oh, Satan, is that real? Is he real? Is, 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 that, is that true? Oh, come on now, preacher. We love God. We love Jesus. But that whole Satan thing, now you're getting kind of weird on us. Well, we're going to get a little bit weird for the next few weeks. Because we're going to talk about a topic that needs to be talked about, that many times we're afraid to talk about. See, we must be prepared and ready to stand firm against him and against his ways. Now, you and I would know that if anybody going into a battle, going into army, you're going to study your opponent. You're going to study who am I going up against? What are their, what are their ways that they like, atta- like to attack? What kind of uh, weapons do they use? How are they going to come at us? Or for me growing up playing basketball, we studied our opponent inside and out. So we knew, oh, that guy, he dribbles with the right. That guy dribbles with the left. That guy has terrible footwork. So tack him this way, tack him that way. Anytime you're going against somebody, you always study your opponent opponent, but for some reason in the church, many times they go, ah, I'm not sure about that. Or we're not sure where to begin. We're not sure how to do it. And unfortunately, those engaged in spiritual warfare, many times we know very little about our opponent. We know very little about the way Satan acts, the way Satan moves, the way he behaves, what he does. And so we as a church over the next few weeks, we're going to dive into this to get battle ready. Because I think it's so important, church, for us to stop and for us to realize the work of Satan and the evilness that's going around. Because what happens is, as we start to see what's happening and we start pointing a finger and we start hating you or we start hating that person and we start hating that group and we start going, well, look at who they are. For instance, I turned on the Fancy Farm uh, discussion yesterday for a little while. I've never sat and watched that. Interesting, but a lot of evilness being sprued shared about one another. You did this, you did this, you say this, you think this. 
You know who's behind all that? The evil one. He wants us to get fighting with each other. He wants us to not like one another. Or if you turn on the news yesterday, and you see what happened in Texas. I don't know what the count, I think the last I heard was 21 were dead in the mass shooting. And you get up this morning in Dayton, Ohio. That gets a little closer home where another mass shooting and nine were killed. And we stop and go, well, we got to fix this, fix that. No, what we got to fix is that there's an evil one who is roaming around trying to destroy us. And we got to bring that up in our society. we got to bring it up amongst our talks, amongst Christians. What's going on in this world, what's going on in our lives is that there's an evil one who's trying to do his work and we need to be aware. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to dive in and look at spiritual warfare. How does Satan work? Why is this happening in my life? There's some truths I want to share with you today, kind of introductory truths just to kind of get us started and help us start thinking on this topic. And then we're going to dive in deeper over the next few weeks. But today I want us to consider five basic truths that help us to get battle ready for Satan and his schemes. Truth number one is this. There is an unseen world that is just as real as this visible world. There is an unseen world that is just as real as this visible world. Now, I think most believers tend to accept the reality of those things that we can see, that we can taste, that we can touch, that we can feel, that we can smell. We say, well, that's real. I sit in a chair. It holds me up. I know that's real. I get a paycheck. I put it in my hand. I know that's real. But I can't see all this stuff going around me. Now, when it comes to God and Jesus, many times things of faith, we go, okay, I believe God. I believe Jesus. But when it comes to Satan, he's actually doing work around here. We have a hard time understanding that. We have a hard time grasping that. But if we are going to really deal with Satan and how he works, then we have to be willing to face the fact that there is a battle going on around us in an unseen world, things that we cannot touch, things that we cannot smell, things that we cannot feel. They're going on around us, and we need to understand that invisible world because Nothing can be further the truth that just because I can't see it or touch it, then it's not real. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, he instructs the church in Ephesus after he has written this letter to them. At the very end, he writes this letter to them about who Christ is, about how to live in Christ, about how to walk in Christ. And at the very end, he says in Ephesians chapter 6, finally, so he's wrapping up his words, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You know, the word schemes is plans. The devil has plans. He's, he's putting together a, a, attacking plans. For Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Look closely at verse 12 with me for a moment. As Christians, we must, what? We must struggle. Because he says our struggle, our struggle, he says, is not against flesh and blood, but our struggle. So there is a struggle that's going on. Too many Christians fail to understand that the struggle that I'm in in life, whatever it may be, you mean that may not just be because I have a boss that is mean to me? That may not be because my wife said some ill words to me? You mean there's someone bigger behind all that, making all that happen and trying to get all that to work? Yes, because we have a struggle. And he says, for our fight is not against flesh and blood. 
against flesh and blood. What do we do many times? Well, my wife said, and it's because she said she is. And my husband said, and because my husband said he's doing. And then what happens? There's a big old fight within a marriage, and we get mad at him, and she gets mad at her. Or we do it with our children. Well, I can't believe my son did. My daughter did. I can't believe that happened. Or my boss. My boss is such a jerk, and my boss thinks like this, and my boss says this. And many times we make the fight against another person, against another flesh and blood. But Paul says, listen, be warned. Those fights that start to bubble up and start to come about, it's not because of, it should be against flesh and blood. It's because there's an evil one who creates a struggle, who wants this kind of thing to happen. He goes on and talking about the waging the warfare against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of weakness and the heavenly realms. Listen, there's this whole thing going on that's a struggle against Satan and his demonic army. Are you aware that we're in life and death struggle against the demonic powers of this world? We need our eyes open to this church. And when we have that struggle that bubbles up for us to stop and for us to step back and go, wait a minute, why am I getting so angry at my wife? Why am I getting so angry at my husband? Why am I getting so angry at the person, at the teller, at the, at the bank? Or why am I getting so angry at the waiter or waitress? Why am I getting so upset towards people? Because the evil one is trying to stir that up. Did you know there's a demonic hierarchy? Much like a, a military or governmental organization, which is in place and organized to promote the agenda of Satan himself. When our text speaks of rulers and powers, and forces. It's actually referring to the organizational structure of Satan and his hierarchy. That there are, there are, There's evil ones in his hierarchy that have different roles and different responsibilities. Some have more powers than others, and they're all roaming around in this world, this unseen world that we can't see. Going, I'm going to destroy. I want to do battle. The word which translated spiritual forces is actually equal to cosmocrats. F.F. Bruce thinks that these terms refer to the hierarchy of fallen angels. And one cosmocrat could have been the angel, the prince of Persia, who hindered the angelic messenger sent to Daniel. We see the account in Daniel chapter 10. Here's what it says. Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this and on humbling yourself before your God... Your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Do you see that? The demonic cosmocrats of Satan's army are deployed everywhere in our culture, and they infiltrate our society. And right there you can see that this battle was going on, and Daniel's praying, and an angel says, I heard your prayers, I'm trying to get to you, but for 21 days I was being stopped. There's a battle that's going on. They infiltrate into our society, into the church, into our workplace. They have one purpose, destroy the work of God. Satan does not want God's work to continue on. They attack in many forms. They attack God's word directly and attack God's word indirectly. How many times has someone ever said to you, you really believe in that Bible? Is that, is that thing really true? How can you do that? Only weak people need a God, right? Or I told the first service with all the teenagers, be warned as you're going into college in a secular university. 
where all this philosophy is going to be thrown at you and all these lies are going to be thrown at you as they try to tell you that what you believed and the belief system you're raised on no longer is correct or right. They're after you and your walk with God. They're after you and your relationships with other people. They want to kill, steal, and destroy. And so in our own strength, we're overmatched. We've got to be aware, church. The invisible world is real. Truth number two is the unseen battle has eternal results. The Bible tells us that Daniel had been praying to God and not receiving an answer to prayer. Stop and think about that. Have you, have you ever prayed for something and haven't received an answer? Sometimes it's gone on for weeks. Sometimes it's gone on for months. Sometimes maybe it's been going on for, for years. And that angel there in Daniel chapter 10, that angel explained to him why he had not come to him. He says, but for 21 days, the spirit of the prince of Persia blocked my way. In other words, this angel's trying to get to Daniel, trying to, trying to go and help him in his prayer. Then Michael, one of the archangels, so another angel came in and had to help him out to, in order to win that battle, in order to win what was going on, in order to then respond in prayer. There's much here we don't understand, but what is very obvious is that spiritual warface, warfare was taking place between the spirits and between the angels. Do you think Daniel could see that? Nope. Can we see it? Nope. We pray and we pray faithfully and we go, okay, God, what's going on? And then we realize, okay, there's some other stuff that maybe I can't see. And I keep trusting and I keep praying. It reveals that in this world, there's this unseen conflict that is taking place, a conflict between good and evil, a conflict between light and darkness, a conflict between God and Satan himself. And it reveals that there's Satanistic forces that are hearing and trying to disrupt what we're trying to do, and it reveals that we're smack dab in the middle of this whole thing, which then causes what? Conflict and strife and difficulty and the feeling that I'm at war, that I'm in a battle, or that I'm in a tug of war often. Once Elisha and his servants were confronted with the army of the king of Aram, which had surrounded the city. And so they're all surrounded, and the servants saw chariots of the enemy, and it began to be in despair, like, we don't have enough in our military battle here to possibly win this big old fight, and now what are we going to do? Picked up in 2 Kings chapter 6, he says, ah, my Lord, what will we do now? Here we are, we're surrounded. He cried out to Elisha, don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened his servant's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire, being surrounded by even those he couldn't see. God revealed to him that he was ready to do battle. On their behalf, even though their human eyes could not possibly see all those who were there to help, the spiritual battle that we're in is no less real today. The struggles that we go through are no less real than what Elisha was dealing with or what Daniel dealt with or what people down through the ages dealt with. Sometimes we just can't see. Satan, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe so they're unable to see the glorious light of the good news that's shining upon them. And sometimes we pray for people to come to Jesus or say yes to Jesus. What happens? They get blinded. We pray for healing in a marriage. People get blinded. We pray for healing and finances, things get blinded. Pray for healing in relationships, things get blinded. We pray for a job, things get blinded. Sometimes we just don't see what's happening. 2 Corinthians 4 tells us that they don't understand the message, and people don't understand the message, we preach the glory of Christ. Because why? Because of blindness. See, maybe you're here today, maybe you're here today investigating. 
you were nudged here. You drive by this place throughout the week. You're like, I need to stop in there sometime. And you've stopped in today, but you've been on this journey and, and, and you've said no to Christ for a long time. And maybe today you're here because the blinders are starting to come off. Maybe you're praying for that friend who still has the blinders up and they can't see God. Maybe you're here today and in your own walk with God, it's gone AWOL. It's become distracted and you're like, I'm here because this is what I do, but I'm, I'm really way, way over here when it comes to God. It could be because you've been blinded because God, because Satan is doing his, his work. It might be that you're engaged in spiritual warfare. You're down, you're discouraged, you're depressed, you're struggling, and it all could be because of blinders that Satan wants to put on. See, those of us who are in Christ, we're here to do battle. So important that we gather together around God's Word. We gather together in worship. We gather together. Why? Because we're here to do battle for those who are struggling or walk with God. We're here to do battle. We're here to battle Satan and his presence and, and keeping people who don't know God. We need to work towards helping them to know God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for though we live in the world We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. He's talking to the church in Corinth saying, listen, this battle is going to go on. Here's how you deal with it. It's quite obvious that God is calling His church to engage Satan in warfare so that we'll be strong in the Lord and we'll be able to break the strongholds. Now, our weapons are not of this world. So God's not saying, now you pull out your guns and pull out your knives and you pull out your fists, but they're weapons that are unseen, weapons like prayer, weapons like the power of God's Word and other things that we're going to look at further and some lessons that we'll be coming into in the next few weeks. See, the decision we make today as to whether we will or will not take up the weapons of warfare have eternal results for those who are not in relationship with Christ yet, has eternal results for those who are struggling in a relationship with Christ right now has eternal results in so many different ways. And we need to begin by honestly considering some of the struggles, some of the relationship conflicts, some of the misunderstandings that are caused by Satan and his misunderstanding. The invisible world is real. The battle has eternal results. And thirdly, Satan's goal is to destroy us and cause the cause of Christ. Now, I love football season. College football is upon us, basically. As they're talking about it, it's all over the news now. It's starting to dominate the sports world again. I love to see what's going on. I love to get the inside scoop of which team they're talking about, who's going to be good, who's not going to be good. Some of the top five teams are, you know, who are the best teams. Here's what happens every college football season, though. There's always that team somewhere in the top five, six, seven teams. They're supposed to be just dynamic, and they're probably going to win the national championship, or they're going to be right in the hunt for that. And right early on in the first two or three weeks, they lose. And usually they lose to some cupcake team that they're not supposed to lose to. They're supposed to beat them by three or four touchdowns, and they lose. And everyone goes, why did that happen? Because they took their opponent lightly. Because they didn't pay attention to what was really going on. They were looking down the road and looking at the tougher opponents, and they forget that there's an opponent right there before them that they have to deal with. And a similar problem comes when Christians underestimate the power of the enemy. Now, we don't want to give him more power than he deserves and what he really has, but we make a huge mistake if we don't address this topic and go, who is this evil one roaming around? We just try to ignore him and go, well, he's out there, but we don't talk about him. Or we think, well, he's really not that strong or he's really not that powerful. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us, be self-controlled and alert. That means open your eyes. 
Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for what? So who he can have lunch with? No, so he can devour them. And you compare to a roaring lion, not, not some little cat that you have in your house that you get to play with and you get to pet. Not like that. Not, not, not the lion you see at the zoo that's in the cage. Or not the lion that you see at the circus that the circus um, handlers can control and can get with. The lion that you would see in Africa, that if you saw that lion, you'd be running for your life. You're like, oh no, he's going to eat me. That's what this text is talking about. He roams around looking who he can devour because Satan is a present reality in our lives, whether we like it or not. I know. First service and this service, there's probably some in here going, are you serious? Is, it, is, this, is this real? We don't, don't talk about this Satan devil thing very often. Is this really happening? Church? Yes, it's happening. He wants nothing more to destroy your faith. He wants nothing more to destroy, take away your credibility, to get you to stumble into sin. And we have to be prepared for attacks. We have to know how the enemy works and what he's doing. And we need to show him some level of respect as far as his ability is concerned. We need to be aware of who our opponent is. In the book of Jude, the ninth verse, the archangel Michael went to the mat with the devil as they fought over the body of Moses. He, he wouldn't have dared level him with a blasphemous curse, but he simply said, no, you don't. God will take care of you. Didn't lash out of him in, a, in an evil way, but just said, nope, God, God's going to win this. It's a remarkable section of Scripture. It doesn't give us quite as much information or details as I would like, but it does shed some light on how we should treat Satan. Satan's a fallen creature, uh, an avowed enemy of God. And Michael the archangel, when disputing about the body of Moses, wouldn't dare say anything to attack, to attack the dignity of Satan. But he said, nope, you're not going to do it because God's going to win this battle. That's how we should treat Satan. We should have a firmness that says, nope, you're not going to win in my marriage. Nope, you're not going to win in my relationship between me and my kids. Nope, you're not going to win this financial struggle. You're not going to win it. And have that kind of respect to say, you know what, but God's going to win it. We would be foolish to do anything less. And we need to understand his power. We need to respect his power. The fourth truth this morning is this, is that we must respect Satan. However, we can't fear him. We need to become acutely aware of his methods, but not be preoccupied by them. we got to have that respect. We don't have to be fearful. But we need to be aware of how he works and not be preoccupied. See, when the war in Iraq first started... It was quite amazing to watch some of the news reports when people were talking with retired military people and the men and the women who were telling us the different strategies and schemes of, of the Iraqis and the various terrorist groups and how they were functioning and how they were working. They have computer-generated models and the illustrations that help us understand what's going on and how our men and how our women can overcome and how they could win that battle. It's not that the United States went into the battle with the thought of losing it, but they did go in a level of respect for their enemy and they spent much time and put over the intelligence, and they planned their battle strategy. We need to do the very similar thing. We need to understand how is Satan working, what, how is he coming at us, and we need to follow God's battle strategy. Ephesians 6, 11, Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Notice, take a stand. In other words, not so you can turn and run, not so that we can be fearful, 
that we would take a stand against what? Against his schemes, against his military plans, against his strategies of how he's going to do what? How he's going to kill, steal, and destroy, how he comes after us. And so we say, no, we're going to take a stand. And like Paul, we need to be aware of the tactics if we're going to be aware to win the war. So let me just quickly give you four ways to be aware. First of all, Satan's name reveals his tactics. If you study through Scripture, he is referred to in many different names, such as Satan or the devil or Beelzebub or Belial or the evil one or the tempter or the prince of the world, or the accuser of the brethren, or representations of a serpent, or a dragon, or an angel of light. All those are descriptive terms that give us a little bit into who is Satan. For instance, the devil is known as the slanderer. So when slander comes towards us, we go, that's not my friend. That's not my co-worker slandering. That's Satan using to my friend. That's slander that's coming at me. Or the Satan is the adversary, someone who stands against. And so we understand the names of Satan. We understand more how he works. Also, Satan attacks God's church. We must be aware of this. Why do churches go through church splits and church factions and church fights and have all kinds of different church issues? Maybe you walk through some time in your life where well, I went through an ugly moment in my church and it was this, this, and this. But that's actually the work of Satan. See, in Colossians, he talks about false philosophies. In 1 Corinthians, false religions. In 2 Corinthians, false ministers. In 1 John, there's false doctrines. In the book of Matthew, he talks about false disciples. And in 2 Thessalonians, false morals. All of these falsities creep their way into the church. Who's that? No one other than the adversary, Satan himself. A third way to be aware is how Satan attacks God's people. Throughout Scripture, we see so many different examples of the attack of Satan on God's people, from directing governments to deceiving men to destroying life to persecuting the saints to preventing service to promoting schisms to planning doubt to provoking sin and anger to pride to worry to self-reliance to, to discouragement to worldliness to lying to immorality to producing sex and cults. And the list goes on of how Satan attacks God's people for us then to doubt who God really is. And we need to be aware that Satan's power is limited. See, he's created. Therefore, he's not omniscient and he's not infinite. He can be resisted by the Christian. James chapter 4 says to resist the devil and he will flee from you. So one of the ways we fight against him is we resist him, and he can be resisted. And God places limitations on him. In Job chapter 1, when Job went through all of his life struggle, and God, God said, you can have my servant Job, but there's one thing you can't do. You can't take his life. There's limitations. And I believe that happens today when God allows Satan to, to work his ways, but he'll put limitations on him. When it comes to understanding this unseen battle, balance and wisdom are crucial in our assessment of spiritual opposition. See, to assign too much or too little credit, really, the reality of demonic activity is to err greatly. So we don't want to give them too much credit, but we don't want to also ignore and say, ah, it's not real. There's one last truth I want you to cover today. As believers in Christ, we need to know that we do not fight for victory. We fight from victory. We're going to be in a struggle, but we know who has won. See, as Operation Iraqi Freedom raged, Muhammad al-Saharf, Iraq's minister of information, daily refuted clear evidence that Iraq was losing the war. On April 6th, after 
Coalition forces seized Baghdad Saddam Airport, renamed it Baghdad International Airport, started flying planes in, and ventured into Baghdad itself. The Miami Herald quoted Al Sarhoff saying, we butchered the force present at the airport, even though everything else was not saying that. On April 7th, after U.S. troops penetrated central Baghdad and stormed Saddam's Republican palace, the Washington Post quoted al Sarhaf saying, there is no presence of the American columns in the city of Baghdad at all. We besieged them and we killed most of them, even though all reports were saying just the opposite. He was referred to as Baghdad Bob by the media. His efforts to explain away coalition forces and his victories as illusions became very comical as he's trying to explain away what was really taking place and what was happening. See, in the same way, our spiritual enemy has already been defeated because of the cross. Church, I don't want you to forget that. As we go on this journey this month and we look at this evil one and we talk about how do we stand against him, we must not forget that he's already been defeated because of the cross of Christ. And, and he continues to hurl out lies and hurl out insults and condemnation at the saints. But we need to fight a very real battle with a very real person. But we need to know without a doubt that our victory over him is assured because we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory because he's already been defeated because of what Jesus has done. Let me quickly run a few scriptures past you that show you that this present battle that we are in is already has a victory. It's already been won, even though we're still wrestling with it here on earth. John chapter 12 says, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. That's a term of victory. Colossians 2 says, Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, and it stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, that's the word victory, over them by what? By the cross, because of what the cross of Christ does. First John 4 says, You dear children are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is what? Is greater than the one who is in the world. So when Christ is inside of you, it's greater than the evil one who roams this world. 1 John chapter 5 says, For everyone born of God overcomes this world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you believe today? You believe in Jesus as your Savior. Your faith is in Him. That scripture tells us that we are victors. You're not sure about your belief. Maybe you're struggling your walk here in a moment. We're going to move to time of communion and time to pray. We're going to have some prayer people at the cross. We'd love to pray with you, help you with your journey of faith. Maybe today's the day you even cross the line of faith and say, I declare Jesus. I accept him as my Savior. And a classic Twilight Zone episode from 1960, an American on a walking trip through Central Europe gets caught in a raging storm. Staggering through the blinding rain, he chances upon opposing medieval castle. It's a hermitage for, for a brotherhood of monks. The reclusive monks reluctantly take him in, and later that night, the American discovers a cell with a man that's locked inside. An ancient wooden staff bolts the door closed. The prisoner claims he's been held captive by, the quote-unquote, the insane head monk, Brother Jerome, as he pleads for the American to release him. The prisoner's kindly face and gentle voice win him over. The American confronts Brother Jerome, who declares that the prisoner is actually none other than Satan. 
the father of lies, held captive by the staff of truth, the one barrier that he cannot pass. This incredible claim convinces the American that Jerome is indeed mad or crazy out of his mind. As soon as he gets the chance, he releases the prisoner who immediately transforms into a hideous horned demon and vanishes off in a puff of smoke. The stunned American is horrified at the realization of what, ha- what he has done. And Jerome responds sympathetically, I'm sorry for you, my son. All your life remember this night and whom you have turned loose upon the world. I didn't believe you, the American replies. I saw him. I didn't recognize him, to which Jerome solemnly observes, that is man's weakness and Satan's strength. I saw him, but I didn't recognize him. That is man's weakness and Satan's strength. What a true statement that is. May it not be our testimony. May it not be your testimony. I saw him, but I didn't recognize who he was. See, it's one that we can overcome as we learn the spiritual warfare, the the battle that we're in, the tools that we have that God has given us as we face this opposition. And so, church, I encourage you as we wrap up the summer, turn the corner heading towards the fall, look into fall ministry, let's go on this journey together. Let's dive in deeper. Let's understand the spiritual warfare we're in and how we have victory in Christ.